Margarita Heights. Snakes trump heights. Those germs, needles, milk, death. Snakes, mushrooms, heights, crowds, okay, elevators. Okay, I don't need the entire list. So, today we continue our Connect Sermon Series, Five Ways to Wreck Your Life, as we journey together through the story. We've looked uh, at Solomon and how he gave his heart away uh, to the wrong people. Last week we watched as Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took terrible advice, and the kingdom of Israel was divided and split as a result. Today we look at the third way to wreck your life, live in fear. Fear is a powerful thing. And uh, it's something that we all experience. It's, it's just common to, to all human beings. So what are you afraid of? Maybe some of your fears are irrational. Like, uh, if we can get the, there we go. Like, anatidaophobia, and I'm going to keep talking confidently so you assume that I pronounced that correctly, uh, which is the fear that somewhere, somehow, a duck is watching you. And... Uh, I don't want to make things any worse if you do suffer from this, but uh, you really never know, you know if a duck is watching you or not. Or maybe you're like a, like a kid that won't go into the swimming pool because you're afraid of sharks. Or uh, maybe like Indiana Jones, you really don't like snakes, which my wife would be very quick to say is a perfectly rational fear, uh, particularly with a, with a cobra like that. I remember when I was a kid, during the first Gulf War, I would lay awake in bed at night, staring at the window for signs of danger, because I had heard about this really bad guy named Saddam Hussein, and I was convinced that he was coming for me personally. Sometimes our fears are quite childish or silly, but sometimes they're quite rational and all too real, fears of the debt that we find ourselves in of the possibility of divorce for our parents or for ourselves, the fear of losing someone you love, the fear of not being able to control your own life. In chapter 15 of the story, we, we encounter Elijah in a state of all too real fear. He's just come down from Mount Carmel, one of the, the greatest victories of God in the entire Old Testament. It makes the Super Bowl look like nothing. Where, uh, where Elijah, the, the prophet of the living God, took on 450 false prophets of Baal, the false god, and came out triumphant. But then the evil queen Jezebel tells him that he has less than 24 hours to live, Wicked Witch of the West style. You see that? That's how much longer you've got to be alive. And it isn't long, my pretty. It isn't long. It isn't long. Elijah goes from, from boldly taunting 450 evil men to fleeing for his life because of one trash-talking lady. It's amazing how quickly fear can seize us, how easily it can drive us to the brink of despair and paralyze us from moving forward. This is where Elijah finds himself, and so he pours out his fears to God, saying, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, Elijah says, and now they are trying to kill me too. God deals with, with Elijah's fears just as he deals with ours, not with judgment, but with grace. God allows Elijah to vent 
Because he knows that, that sometimes when we, when we put a voice to our fears, especially in prayer, that helps us to face them. And God responds. There, there's this mighty wind, there's a powerful earthquake, there's a raging fire. But God comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper, a, a still, small voice, some translations say. God responds to Elijah's fears by telling him, you are not alone. First, he demonstrates for Elijah that he's present with him, as he always has been and always will be. Then he directs Elijah to anoint kings who will do his will, and to anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. He shows Elijah that he is not, in fact, the only one left, that there are 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he reassures Elijah that those who seek his life will instead have theirs demanded of them, and that the heavy burden that he bears will be shared by another. Have you ever felt alone? It's a silly question. Of course you have. Have you ever found yourself captive to a fear you thought that you were on your own to face? If you ever feel that way, if you feel that way right now, please don't shut out your family your brothers and sisters in Christ are, are here to, to support you and to uphold you. Take a second for me. Look to your left, look to your right, look around you. Look at the people sitting around you. Yeah, seriously, do it. These, these people, God has placed in your life to, to get you through difficult times, to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And he himself goes with us as well. Jesus was dead serious when he promised, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You are not alone, and you never will be. Elisha finds this to be true in his life as well. As we read this week, uh, the country of Aram was trying to attack Israel again and again, but every single time Elisha uh, would know what they were doing and uh, would warn the king of Israel so that they would, would be gone. And the king of Aram got very upset that this was happening, and so he sends uh, a strong military force to capture Elisha, and they, and they surround the city where Elisha and his servant are staying. It looked like a hopeless situation, but God sent his angel armies to fill the hills and protect his prophet. Like Elijah, Elisha was not alone. And like Elisha, we too are surrounded by God's holy angels who protect and watch over us. We are not alone. Of course, there's a bit more to the story than that. Elisha does have this servant, and, and this servant doesn't see what Elisha sees. All he sees are the armies of Aram surrounding them, moving in on them, swords in their hand and malice in their hearts. Understandably, he's overcome with fear. Oh no, my lord. He says to Elisha, what shall we do? And I love Elisha's response. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Essentially, Elisha tells his servant, you are not alone. And then he prays for God to, to open his eyes, to see his protection. When I went to the Grand Canyon a couple of years ago, I was told uh, to shut my eyes as I was led up to the ledge uh, by a couple of guys who had been there before. And when I got to the top, they said, open your eyes, and I opened them, and all at once was overcome by the, the sweeping grandeur of God's beautiful creation. 
I have to imagine that Elisha's servant had a, had a very similar experience as God opened his eyes as, and, and all at once he sees the, the sweeping grandeur of the, the host of heaven armed for battle to protect him. Earlier, God had shown Elijah that there was more to his divine plan than meets the eye. And here, he reveals to Elisha's servant the hidden protection of his angels. Pay attention to what's happening here. God has made the unknown known. I think so often the reason we may find ourselves living in fear is because we fear the unknown. Are my kids going to hold fast to Christ when they go off to college? What will happen if we can't pay the mortgage or the rent this month? Is that spot on the MRI cancer? How far is it spread? How long do we have? Alfred Hitchcock made some of the scariest movies of all time, and he did it without the blood and gore that we see so often today because he understood that the fear of the unknown is the most powerful fear of all. I imagine this is why some people are afraid of the dark. For most of us, there's nothing inherently frightening about the darkness itself. What's frightening is that it hides other dangers that may be lurking about. When the lights are on, you're 99.9% sure there are no monsters in your closet. But once the lights get turned off, who knows? But God has made the unknown known. And in doing so, he's destroyed our fears. Through Christ, the light of the world, he has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Paul puts it this way, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When Jesus came to us, he threw the switch on once and for all. He made the unknown known, showing us the love, the heart of the Father, showing us that we are not alone because he is always with us. Now there's that, that curious little narrative in the chapter we read this week where, where Elijah is preparing to, to be taken up to heaven and Elisha makes a request. He says, give me a double portion of your spirit when you go. This passage always perplexed me until I, I, I learned that Elisha is using very common language uh, that they used when they would talk about inheritance. The, the firstborn son would receive a double portion of the estate. And so Elisha is asking here to inherit Elijah's ministry. He's asking for the courage and the strength to boldly stand for God's truth and to exhibit God's power in his life. And God grants this request. God grants Elisha a double portion of of Elijah's spirit to help him face the difficult days ahead, the unknowns ahead. As I read this passage again this week, uh, it dawned on me, this is exactly what God has done for us. God has given us a double portion of his spirit. That is, he has given us his Holy Spirit as our inheritance. Paul writes in Ephesians, having believed you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Just a few verses before, Paul tells us exactly what this inheritance is. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then he says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. God has made the unknown 
known to us and it is absolutely marvelous in our eyes. And so in the midst of our fear, God not only reassures us that we are not alone, he not only makes the unknown known, God has also rendered our enemy powerless. In Elisha's case, the the mighty Aramean army that had been sent to capture him was rendered completely blind. It's quite a story, isn't it? Uh, The Lord opens the eyes of Elisha's servant, and then upon Elisha's request, shuts the eyes of the soldiers that had come to capture them. <laughs> then Elisha goes up to them and says, Hey, uh, I'll, I'll take you where you're, where you're looking to go. And he leads them right into the center of Samaria, Israel's capital city, uh, putting the Aramean threat to rest for good. Then there was Elijah, one man, one prophet of the living God, up against 450 prophets of Baal. Now by all accounts, Baal was supremely powerful in Israel. The country was full of his altars. The people's hearts were with him. And to add to to everything, the king and queen would persecute anyone who refused to worship him. And so when they all assembled on Mount Carmel, Baal was supposed to shut Elijah up once and for all. But on the heights of the mountain, Elijah saw God render Baal powerless. The false prophets, they danced around. They even cut themselves just just to feel something, to feel like they were doing something to to get their God's attention. But nothing happened. Nothing happened because Baal himself was proven to be nothing. Baal can bring neither rain nor fire, but Yahweh, the true God, has power over both. And so God answered with fire, even licking up the water that was in the trench around the altar. Yahweh accepted Elijah's sacrifice and poured down his fiery wrath upon the sin of Israel. Then Elijah was taken from that mountain to a cave, a holy grotto, where God stilled his fears with a gentle whisper as he covered his face with a cloak. Then one day came another prophet, the prophet of prophets and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He came to take on Satan, who by all accounts was supremely powerful. And when Jesus was marched up to the top of Mount Calvary, Satan was supposed to shut him up once and for all. But on the heights of the mountain, we saw God render our enemy powerless when Jesus bled and died on the cross. This time the prophet was himself the sacrifice, and God poured down his fiery wrath on our sin, as Jesus bore it for us. Jesus died, and he was taken from that mountain to a cave, a holy grotto cut in the rock where his dead body was laid. I wonder if three days later, when that earthquake came, if there was also a gentle whisper that accompanied the stone being rolled away, as Jesus uncovered his face that had been covered with the cloak of death, and step forth alive forever and ever. I think the angel said it best when he told the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. Just as he said, at that cave, God stilled our fears 
forever. And so, brothers and sisters, don't live in fear. And do not be afraid. Even in the tomb, you are not alone. For there is one who has rested there before you, and he has promised to raise you up from it, just as he himself was raised. God has made the greatest unknown of all, death itself, known, exposing it for the sorry excuse of an enemy that it truly is. For through Christ, God has rendered our enemy powerless. Powerless. 